0: As some of you may have heard, Justice Neil Gorsuch didn't wear a mask during oral arguments for two cases challenging President Biden's vaccine mandates. These arguments kept him in close proximity to his colleagues for four hours. Now that the court is again meeting in person, there are strict rules in place if you want to be in the chamber. The requirements include a negative COVID test, social distancing, and wearing an N95 mask. In this instance, Gorsuch was the only person who could not be bothered to follow the rules. Maybe Gorsuch's performative intransigence was simply a way to illustrate the contempt he has for the vaccine mandates he and his colleagues were there to adjudicate. As Ruth Marcus puts it in a recent column, no one is the boss of Justice Gorsuch. And as far as his pseudo-libertarian self is concerned, everyone else can just go to hell. That's the overarching problem. Nobody is the boss of any of the nine justices. There's nobody to hold them to account. Every member of the federal judiciary is subject to a code of conduct except Supreme Court justices. There's no ethics committee overseeing their behavior, which explains why Amy Coney Barrett, an unqualified hack whose confirmation was pushed through by the Republican-led Senate in 30 days, didn't have to recuse herself from a case involving Americans for Prosperity, which had announced upon her nomination that it was funding a full-scale campaign to confirm her with financing in the seven-figure range. No, there was nothing or no one to tell her that she had to recuse herself. The question is, why didn't she feel she had to? It all starts with the seat stolen from Merrick Garland, Mitch McConnell, the greatest traitor to this country since Robert E. Lee, was able to bend the rules and manipulate the process, as he so often does, in order to keep that seat open in the event a Republican got into the Oval Office. But it was a corrupt move, and only a person without honor would accept such a nomination. Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Barrett are all cut from the same cloth. The awfulness of this particular court is nothing new— It may sound counterintuitive, but in the nearly two and a half centuries of its existence, the Supreme Court has been one of the most anti-democratic forces in this country. Thanks to McConnell, we are currently strapped with a regressive majority of originalists that seems determined to reshape the country against the will of its people. They have no honor, they have no decency, and they do not care what the majority of Americans want. There are many, many reasons to expand the Supreme Court, but nullifying the power of this bunch of bought and paid for justices should be at the top of the list. My guest today really needs no introduction. Um, Malcolm Nance has been an outspoken proponent of American democracy for years and an extraordinarily important voice in helping people understand the dangers we've been facing, um, particularly since 2015 when uh, Donald Trump became uh, a candidate running for the Republican nomination. I have been... Watching Malcolm, I've been reading his spectacular and important books, and I've wondered <laughs> and wished that more, why and wished that more people had gotten his message, because if more people had paid attention and more people in the media had spread the word, I'm not entirely sure we'd be in the mess we're in. So without further ado, Malcolm dance, it is such an honor to have you on today. Well, How are you?
1: I'm well and I'm I'm very honored to be on your show because I think you're an equally important voice not just due to your proximity to the problem but uh, certainly because you know you speak with such clarity and with such authority due to your career choice <laughs> uh, that really will help everybody because the fundamental problem we are having today let's be honest it's psychological.
0: Yeah. It is. It is. And it's uh, so obvious that it's frustrating because clearly a lot of people aren't seeing it. What do you make of that?
1: Well, you know, I come at it from an intelligence community perspective. So from the very beginning of this, when I wrote my first book about the Trump-Russia scandal, Plot to Hack America, you know, all the news media, the journalists were going at it from, ooh, can we get the emails? What salacious things might Hillary Clinton write in there? You know, this is going to be interesting. And when I came out, I, you know, I was the first person in U.S. news media uh, to come on air, on cable television and say, hey, what you're looking at is an actual attack on the United States by a hostile intelligence agency or directed by a hostile leader in order to destroy democracy, in order to elect Donald Trump as president, and he would be their wrecking ball. And uh, believe me, I got looked at like I was a three-eyed toad for a very long time. Uh, and it's, it's quite amusing. Um, but the U.S. news media is very funny about what they take as a source. So it's one thing for an old spy to come out and, uh, and you know, pull my hair out and say, hey, we're under attack. It took the next book to write the exact same thing that I had said and I had written in my, my first book, Plot to Hack America. It took the journalist 24 months to write the same book in a longer format. So yeah. as an intelligence professional, I had seen it not from the perspective of political, you know, skullduggery or the, the salacious things that might be found in the emails. I saw this as an information warfare attack designed to craft an, a new bubble of how America should look at Hillary Clinton uh, with, and with the purpose of converting the minds of many, many American citizens on the basis of nothing, right? Literally on the basis of ether, and allow their darkest views to become reality. And that is more of let me rephrase that. It's 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 not so much as a physical attack on America, it was an attack on the psychological state of the country. And they manipulated one third of this nation to believing every word of it. And, you know, and I'm, I'm being a little generous because some in the news media yeah. and academia have since come back, right? Now, the you know, everything I said was true. Everything that was written in the Mueller report was true. And, you know, they go, oh, yeah, that's common knowledge now. But no, at the time, it was ridiculous to think that our psychological state our entire information sphere could not just be manipulated, but could be crafted for us. As The example I like to use is rose-colored glasses that were not only crafted by another country, but you know, were polished and lovingly assembled, and then put on your eyes, and that gave you the impression, the belief, that you made those glasses and you put yeah. them on your eyes, and that's what I meant about psychological. This is fundamentally a psychological problem.
0: Yeah, and and it is. I, I hate to give them credit, but it's brilliant because it it turns people's assumptions upside down. For example, who would think that it's easier for an, an enormous number of people? to believe that Hillary Clinton was running a child pornography ring in the basement of a pizza place that didn't have a, a basement than not to believe that,
1: uh, right? Uh, uh, get it right. Child Sorry. abduction murder ring. Sorry. Which <laughs> traded children all around the world. I
0: mean- yeah. Yeah. You can believe that. That's easier to believe than to believe that that's not a thing that— could possibly happen in the world, so it's. I think it's it's the reluctance for many people to believe that people can be so susceptible. Yes, that I think is part of the inability to grasp it, uh, which is, as you've said on many occasions, what makes it so effective.
1: <clears throat> you know, also what comes into play, and we're seeing it right now in a massive scale. With with regards to the Democratic Party's level of denial of what's actually happening in, in terms of the attack on deny, uh, democracy, we are watching denial bias creep into everything. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. we are, you know, you know, where you have a you have an inherent belief that everything's okay and that yeah. everything is normal, and that the things we're hearing about, even though they're flukes there really spikes in the relatively flat signal, uh, you know, signal to noise ratio is the occasional spike. But everything is going about its own business. Well, sure, you can believe that if almost a million Americans weren't dead of a major, you know, pandemic uh, event. And but at the same time, people don't want to believe that American democracy is under attack. Although we got five years of that. Right. I mean, with Donald Trump and then this last year with the insurrection, which, as you know, I I had predicted was going to happen 62 days before it happened on real time with Bill Maher on HBO. And, you know, at that time, everybody was like, let's know it's Kumbaya. Let's talk to them. Let's find out. As an intelligence professional, my job is to see trouble, not when it brews. But the ingredients that would go in mm. to boil a pot of trouble before it 's ever put on the heat
0: right, and as you 're saying we had we had four almost four years oh. of ingredients oh, yeah. being thrown together, but then we also had the behavior of Donald and his administration during the transition in what universe did anybody think that there was? any reason to count on them for anything. They were shutting the Biden, incoming Biden administration out from everything. They were putting even more people's lives at risk because they totally dropped the ball on COVID even more than they already had. And clearly, there was, a, a, certainly on Donald's part and, and eventually on every Republican's part, the complete unwillingness to accept the results of the uh, election. Right.
1: You know, and all of this is only effective in the sense that their population, their target population, which now represents as much as 45 percent of the voting base. Now, if the voting base of Democrats and Republicans, you know, the 150 million Americans that voted are only 50 percent of the eligible voters, that means they represent only 25 percent of the eligible voters in America. But that twenty five percent was more than enough because mm-hmm. one, they apparently lost their minds, and they lost their minds in the sense that the belief system around them was carefully crafted. First, it was you know you ask you you mentioned that um we when I talked about the foreign intelligence agencies creating this information bubble that transformed itself, moved over the United States, then fell upon this target population, that was not something they developed in five years or six years. That was the entirety of the academic and psychological study of the psyche of the American public since the founding of the Soviet Union. Because in the Soviet Union, their academia worked for the state. And so, you know, Vladimir Putin, when he became, you know, a president of Russia and an oligarch and the Soviet Union was gone, the archives are still there. Russian intelligence uses those archives. So when they say, hey what's a breaking point a fundamental fissure in the in the in the American flag what's the the, the weakest the weakest knit in the seam of the American flag they go oh wait, let's go back and uh, ask everybody at Moscow University go do some studies and then come back and they go well we've studied this for about 70 years and it's racism <laughs> right, right exactly and they would go give, yeah. give me a he goes and somebody will come in with a wheelbarrow right and they will have a wheelbarrow of KGB studies on information effects on the American population. Now, that was just Putin when he launched his campaign. The real effect came where they had found the right person to carry their message. Then Donald Trump personally internalized that message, and it became his message. So by 2018, the Russians, not only could they not influence things, they didn't have to influence things. It was all now the Trump administration and the psychophants in the Trump administration saw their bread was being buttered by by the, um, the, the base population, which loved his, you know, gentle promise of harm to his enemies right? And then when he got yeah. more mouthy, they loved it all. Um, yeah. You know, Mary, I, would, I took part in the documentary, Unfit, you know, which was, you know, from the, the, the group of psychologists that, mm-hmm. that uh, did Duty to Warn. And, yeah. you know, they didn't ask me what I wanted to speak about. They said, tell me about Donald Trump and his suitability for office. And I started the, it actually starts the movie, where I talk about the PRP, the personnel Ready, uh, reliability program of the, of the Air Force and the Navy, which allows you to be a gate guard at a front mm-hmm. gate of a base which might house atomic bombs. And so 18-year-old wow. kids are routinely disqualified from this program. You know, drugs or problems with the girlfriend. They don't want to give him an M-16 and sit him out in front of atomic bombs, even though they're guarding a building, a structure that it would take an atomic bomb to get into. Donald Trump was handed the keys (laughs) to the entire structure. And they didn't care about his suitability because the electorate, in so electing him, chose to, or essentially said, he's psychologically stable for the job because we love him.
0: Right, and that I have a a bunch of questions Mm. to pull out from what you just said, but let's stick with that. The the fact that somebody so obviously not just unfit but unsuited um, and grotesque Mm. (laughs) there are whatever adjectives we can use to describe him intellectually and curious. Um, vulnerable to blackmail right. on and on and on, you know you know the drill um, how that was allowed to happen when it could have been stopped at any at any time along the way, and the way you describe uh, Russia and its decades long project as soon as the Soviet Union uh, was formed over seven decades ago reminds me of the Republican Party's decades-long project that has been kind of gone underground. Because when people say, oh, you know, it's not the Republican Party anymore, it's it's Donald's party. I'm like, seriously? This He didn't change the Republican Party. Right. He just revealed it. I mean, do, do you really think that Mitch McConnell changed overnight <laughs> because right. he saw – right? So it's a very similar – it's an interesting
1: parallel. But – you have to understand, and I know you more than any individual on this planet understands, because your father got it in full. Uh, yeah. What Donald Trump can do when he could mobilize psychopaths right? So, mm-hmm. um, what you see here is you've seen the. Oh, let me be a little more delicate than what I'm thinking. <laughs> All right, okay, you don't have I to won't be. be. Uh, can you use Good. bad language here? <laughs> as much as you oh, fucking want okay. to. Yes. He authorized the assholing of America. Yeah. You had other psychophants before him. You had other you know, people who were like him. Paul LePage, the former governor of, of Maine. This guy was just a loudmouthed bully, right? Yep. Sarah Palin, the originalist idiot of America who, you know, her <laughs> pithy, moronic statements appealed to the Walmart mom. Donald That's Trump right. came up, boom, 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 right? And he's this character, this cartoon character of a human being, which every other person in my world saw as Richie Rich, okay? The poor little rich kid, you know, with yep. the robot servant, gro- grown up and, you know, had, had had essentially stepped in to the ring as, as, as revenge because a black man made a joke about it when barack right. obama you know insulted him uh, about his uh, you know his 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 big decisions that he made on the apprentice he got up and left he was mortally what, offended was, by that
0: That was 2011 the white house corps i believe dinner.
1: but his yeah. ego you know was was so bruised however you have to understand that for donald trump to win the presidency i believe the statistic was For the first time in American history, he would have had to have won 67% or more of the white male vote. And at that time, Mitt Romney had come close, like 63, and everybody was like, no, no one can break that extra 4%. He blew that out of the water, and principally because he was the avatar, right? Right for yeah. the people who wanted to publicly be assholes.
0: Right. I mean, the way I put it, I, I like the way you put it better, but I, he gave people permission to be their worst selves.
1: Yes. And to revel in it. Yeah, because you know why? Because A- he's the tribal mm-hmm. chief. Right. He, he became the appointed, not commander-in-chief, he became the chief of the white supremacist tribe in the United States. And in many, yep. many dog whistles... And his idiotic way of speaking, which he got, you know, he gained all of this this panache at speaking to people who were relatively uneducated or even the educated who wanted what he wanted by, go, by being the rich millionaire, billionaire in worldwide wrestling entertainment. When he would come in there with the big check. Right. And he would would say, (laughs) oh, I'm going to give this check to the bad guy because he will win. And then the good guy wins and shames them. And Trump comes over with the fake check and goes, oh, you're actually the good guy. He understood the fundamental base of America. And he understood that it was bread, circuses, violence. Absolutely. Any character. I I hark back to... um, I hark back to popular popular media all the time. I don't don't like to do it, but it's the only way I can speak to many people in the audience. If I were to pick a character to describe Donald Trump that you would immediately, immediately understand uh, the way that he did things, it would be the character Commodus in the movie Gladiator, the Emperor, right? Kills yes. his dad, right? sends his best general out to be decapitated, kills his wife and child, makes him a gladiator, and then somehow finds himself in the ring with this guy in front of the bread and circuses. But the only way he can win is to shiv the guy in the kidneys, right? And then give yeah. them the show. Gladi, if Glad if 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 um uh the character Russell Crow played. Uh, in there, De- uh, um, uh, his name escapes me. Right, I can't now. remember it either. Oh, I, I, I have it on the tip of my tongue. But he he represents the stability and honor of the republic, and sacrifice for 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 the for for Rome. Same with America's honor and everyone who stood before him before, including now. Okay. People don't, the people Trump spoke to don't want to see honor. They like it in the form of military people, which is why they're always (laughs) claiming the military is going to do a coup for him, or B-1 bombers flying over, you know, football games and helicopters visiting and all that stuff. They have this caricature-ish cartoon character. Whereas a person like me, I'm sorry, I am steeped in the honor of this nation. My family's been in the armed forces every minute since April 1864 to today. Okay, there's a Nance right now. My niece is retiring, but you know, she is, a, she, she is the last of the Nances right now of 150 continuous years of service. Donald Trump doesn't care about that. He doesn't know about it. He didn't understand the trappings of, of dignity and honor in the White House. He was there to make bank. And he understood rubes love me I can get things from Rube's, and then he saw the depths that the individuals around him would debase themselves. They would literally crawl on the floor and lick his boots, and that, right, and that- emanates a mindset of power. And it's not just the power of pressing the button and the Coke—you know, Diet Coke right. comes in. Okay. Although that was probably the most important thing to him. Oh, of course. Probably well exercising power but i think he also yeah. you know he's you know the reason i understand donald trump and why i i hate him so much and disgust have complete disgust is i spent every minute of my 20 years in the armed forces looking out for guys like this who yeah. would get us killed or would steal or would do something like sell classified information to another country i was always on the lookout for this guy, which is why he had only a, a, like a 31% approval rating in the armed forces. We do not right. suffer fools gladly and we hate idiots. Trump understood that, which is why General Milley was turned into his little puppet and was manipulated mm-hmm. at every turn and he, why he wanted, you know, I went to Bastille Day last year in Paris for the first time. And when I saw Francois, you know, Macron, Being escorted by two hundred of the Republican Guard on their horses in gold breastplates from the Napoleonic era, I said, "This is all that Donald Trump thinks about." Of course, because honor him as you say,
0: because it would be honoring him. It's not about honoring the country or the history. It all redounds to him in his very small mind. But You know, what's kind of, I don't know if mystifying is the right word, because I guess if, you know, we take a step back, it it makes sense. But just on a human level, you understand this in a way uh, many people don't. The idea that there are people in the world who are even weaker than Donald. It's just, it's so astonishing. And one of his few skills is recognizing The weakness in people and co-opting them to either to um, make him better able to get his agenda across or much more likely just to, to bask in the glow of that power. Hey, you're my follower. If you if you want to bask in my power, you need to put your life at risk by coming to one of my rallies, not wearing a mask. Right. Right. So. What I really don't understand, though, is you you mentioned the White House Correspondents Center in 2011. We've had so much information for so long about exactly who this person is, about exactly how to manipulate him, and exactly how vindictive he is and and money-hungry and power-hungry is. There must have been other people in a position to know what was going on. Why did it seem like you were the only person <laughs> shouting it from the rooftops? Like why? Where were well, the people behind the scenes putting up the, the the guardrails?
1: There were other people out there. I mean, you have like scholars like Sarah Kenzior. Sure, know, who, I,
0: I mean, I mean, in the context of your profession. Oh, in Obviously, the context, Sarah Kenzior, David. I Horn, am going
1: to explain this in a way that I that if you look at my last five years, it becomes very obvious. Um, because I, you know I don't like tooting my own horn, but I, I'll will secure the I'll secure my humility here for a minute. Um, everything I've written in four different books about Trump and Russia, and this new one about the incoming insurgency—or not—it's not even coming. I had to remove the word "coming" from the title. The insurgency mm-hmm. that has arrived has been correct, and the mm-hmm. reason that I'm correct. Is because I understand on the basis of experience and and precedence, I've seen these rises to power. I mean, Iraq was one of my countries for over a decade. And so was Libya. And so was Syria. Mm-hmm. I know what a strongman, you know, dictator is. I lived in mm-hmm. Italy under Silvio Berlusconi. Okay, and I speak yeah. Italian, so I could read the papers in my Every time I see the word Berlusconi, the word El Buffo, right, the clown, yeah, yep. comes into my mind. He may be elected president again in the next couple of weeks in Italy. Mm-hmm. So I suddenly, you know, you when you see these people, these these char- seemingly I- unsuitable characters rise to power and then use that power to hurt and and and, and damage their enemies. Okay. You, get it, the impre- you can easily understand where it comes from. And it comes from manipulating the people who love proximity to power, to steal a phrase from the Hamilton, right? The musical Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Proximity to power, right? Proximity to power overseas means proximity to money. And I lived in Abu Dhabi for the 10 years prior to Trump coming into office. And I had, you know, my, my wife, my late wife, God bless her, was a mega projects landscape architect. She had a $4 billion budget. And one of the things she used to say over there was, these people have stupid money. Stupid money. Mm-hmm. Not even, you know. And one of the things that I realized as soon as Trump was elected and the way that Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Qatar went at him, I suddenly realized for the first time in American history, really the first time in American history, foreign powers had a man who could be bought for cash. Who was also
0: surrounded by other people who could be bought
1: Kushner, his children. You know, you know, the the way that let me give you some Middle East uh, Middle East camel um, market savvy 101. The money never comes to the boss. The boss never right. handles the money. Right. Right? It's always I'm gonna cut a deal with you and some money's gonna fall off the table after we eat the goat, and my bro yep. is gonna my son or my daughter my son or my cousin or my brother is going to come to you at another time and you're all gonna have tea and a boatload of money's gonna fall off the table into a bag. Not right. a just like smoothie. the boss.
0: Exactly. Just like the boss doesn't make the direct threat.
1: Absolutely. Either. Right. It's all, yeah. it's all in, by inference. And it's like Michael Cohen, I did his podcast. His, he's really burned about the whole Donald knows how to issue a threat and you know how to pick that threat up and run with it. And so I've yeah. seen that overseas. But now what mm-hmm. I saw was a completely new thing. And the only points of reference that I had that made me really feel like I'm starting to get the trend. And this is why I could come out in 2016 and p- have a book published eight weeks before the election saying America's under attack by a foreign power and the, it's puppet. Because I had seen this in South Africa, right? And then I had seen mm-hmm. it in Serbia, okay? South mm-hmm. Africa, apartheidist state, right? Minority yep. rule. and, and Essentially a, a fascist-run state. And Serbia technically, a majority state that essentially wanted to commit genocide against all its previous neighbors over a complaint that happened in the 11th century. So, I mean, you know, and I was in Bosnia when they were out there massacring people. So those two points of reference led me to believe a interesting and unique phenomenon was happening that hadn't happened since 1860. Here's why nobody saw Trump as being successful in winning, whereas anyone who really watched could see he was going to win. Trump was armed with the camouflage of whiteness. He was a white male that appealed to the, not just the lower-class whites, Trump got the majority of middle-class white men and 51% of their women.
0: Yeah. So I agree with you. I I think the the foundational problem obviously in this country is is white racism, but it's it is still the problem. And unless and until white people fix it, I don't I don't know how we can ever get to a point where we're actually a democracy right. because well, what I see it, you know, there are a bunch of warning signs, um, but, you know, one of them is how the Democrats continue not to empower its base. Yes. Which is very frustrating. Um, and then there's the fact that, as you said, you, Sarah Kenzior, David Korn, other people were out there and they were connecting the dots and they did understand what the problem was. And as I, as I wrote recently on Twitter, like when even more stuff was coming out, none of which is surprising about January 6th and Donald rolling it. Right. It's like, can we stop calling them alarmists now? Right. Like you're not an alarmist <laughs> if you're <laughs> right about everything. I, had, right? I actually
1: had Andrew Sullivan call me a conspiracy theorist and a fabricator.
0: Consider the source. On, on an MSNBC program.
1: And, Seriously? and it was about <laughs> the Mueller report. And the woman who was right. with him, I think it was Darlena Maxwell, said, I've read this stuff. That should be called the Malcolm Report. I've heard this right. for three years, That's and he right. was just like, That's "Well, right. he's a liar. He's a he's a fabulous and a conspiracy theorist." And it's like, really? There is a wow. factor out there. My my literary agent will tell you that she has a an author who's a university professor who wrote a book called Black um, Black. Uh, uh, sh- sorry, I'm, I'm just having a sneaker. We're not doing well with Black names today. evidence. today. <laughs> And the premise of the okay. book is is that no black person will ever be, uh, ever be uh, listened to, until a white male has validated that evidence. Yep. And uh, yep. guess I, what? Turns true. out it applies to women too. <laughs> it does indeed. <laughs> you know? So it's it's yeah. minority evidence. I, I think is is what we should call it. But what you're seeing is a resurgence of white power. In this Mm -hmm. country. And they want to know the question that was asked by one of the Charlottesville uh, crying Nazis to me, Anthony Bissonnay, when he said, how come we can't say white power? And he he caught me to, to sort of ambush me with his podcast. And what he didn't expect was my answer, which was, oh, sure, you can say that. I fought. I right. spent 20 years risking my life, so you can say that. My great great grandpa, he fought in the Civil War, so that you can say that. You can say any stupid thing you want, and I warn yep. you, just don't act on it. And guess right. what that guy did in the in, in 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 the in the Capitol? He was one of the people who entered the building. Has now since been arrested and is being convicted. <laughs> For exactly. what I told him, don't act on it. Once again, a good example of black evidence. You, know, right. you better listen right. to the magical Negro, because <laughs> that's uh, no. I'm sorry, but that's what they call it in Hollywood, right? I know. And, and it, it's it's better to just take that. But let's not worry about our opponents. Let's worry about ourselves. Um, yep. You know, democracy is not only. I want to go back to democracy because you know I'm from Philadelphia, right? Really, mm-hmm. yes, I did. Born and bred Philadelphia, born in the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, and uh, which you know is a, is a badge of honor for me. I, I grew up in the shadow of Independence Hall, the Liberty Bell, and the most significant place that I had found that has guided me even into the commu- the intelligence community, and that's Washington Square. And I did not understand the sacrifice in the American Revolution till I went to Washington Square, which is right behind Independence Hall. And Washington Square started as a black cemetery for all the slaves in the, in the revolutionary period. It was actually on the edge of the, the, the town. And during the revolution, so many soldiers were brought into the city themselves to die of cholera and, and uh, smallpox and typhus um, that they had to bury them in the black cemetery. That cemetery has, that, that park has 2,500 dead revolutionary soldiers in it. And there's a big statue there. And it was the first tomb of the unknown soldier in America. And written across the top was what Washington said uh, about it, that the, the light of freedom is a light for which many have died in darkness. And when I yes. went into the intelligence community, that became my call. That became my call sign. But it's not just freedom that's under attack now. It's the entirety of the American Republic. The American experiment is under attack. We have perhaps 10 months before everything that has ever been written and fought for since the founding of this nation could go away. And we dive headfirst into autocracy. Consti- I agree with
0: yeah. you 100%. I think we have until November
1: 2022. We do. So the thing with Republicans is is that they don't just want to dive headlong into an autocracy. They're going to make a constitutional autocracy. And that's where you have the fig leaf of the Constitution, which will be applied randomly and mainly only to the minority. And this, this has happened in many many countries. But they'll say, oh, you still have the right of freedom of speech. Yes, you have the right of freedom of speech, but they may still arrest you with secret police. They may have their uh, their militias come to your house and exercise freedom of speech like they do to these school board members, you know, and where they come to your house and they sit out there with bullhorns and they, and they get on the sidewalk and they harass you. Yeah. So they will weaponize The constitution to harm you and that's where we need to understand this moment is the moment we need to fight
0: and this is why it is it is an all hands on deck all the more the more people like you are out there the better uh we we need our voices to be amplified and and Spread as much as possible, because people a lot of people it's not that they don't care or that they just don't get it, they don't have the luxury of paying attention the way we do right. and it is as we said at the beginning it's it's just easier to assume that everything's going to be okay, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's part of what's going on now um Joe Biden won Whew, okay. Mm-hmm. Everything's cool. No. No, in fact, I think things are worse now than they were they are. um a year ago because we we are have have gone even farther down the road and what you just said about weaponizing the constitution and using it as a fig leaf to cover up their uh autocracy that is been that's another long-term project. That's not Donald. Right. He just you know, fit the bill. I think Mitch McConnell recognized immediately what he was going to get with Donald. He was going to get somebody who would sign off on anything as long as he got his money and his power. And Mitch McConnell was there, by the way, the greatest traitor to this country since Robert E. Lee. Mitch McConnell was then free to wreak havoc on the judiciary, on the Senate, et cetera. So all of that having been said. mm mm-hmm. What do you think is, is the best, other than just screaming our heads off <laughs> for 10 months, what is the best strategy? Do we, make, uh, do we try to make common cause with the Republicans? Do uh, we just, I know, I'm I, sorry. I, that was just for the benefit uh, of the listeners. Um, seriously, what, what do you think are the best ways to go about securing uh, our democracy and making sure the American experiment doesn't fail?
1: Well, it's, I'm glad you asked me that. First, let me make a quick comment about Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. They just need to recall, and I know they're getting everything they want, and they, they, get, they also get that proximity to power, but more importantly, they get the pats on the back. They get people who are like them, right, coming to them at the country club and going, you're doing you know, God's work, you're, you're helping Donald do this. One caution, Robespierre the leader of the French Revolution, was eventually sent to his own guillotine that he had lopped off the heads of tens of thousands of aristocrats. Because like the communist revolution, these, in, these internal loyalty-based activities or, 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 or revolutions, if you want to call it that, um, always eat themselves. Uh, If Kevin McCarthy, and I I say this uh, honestly, if Kevin McCarthy thinks he's going to be Speaker of the House next year, he's got another thing coming. I mean, it was Jason Johnson who called this last May when he said they will elect Donald Trump as Speaker of the House. I agree. And then Ted Cruz came out in August and confirmed it. That's That's what the plan is. Elect Trump Speaker of the House. Let him sully and disgrace the office Nancy Pelosi held the way he did it with Obama. Kevin McCarthy's never going to be speaker. And they want him to use this as a launch pad, the speaker of the House, the number three person spoiling Joe Biden. Can you imagine the number of attempted assassinations that could happen if that were to occur? Assassination
0: attempts, impeachment trials.
1: Oh, there will be impeachment trials. They've already said that too. They will impeach Biden monthly. That's and right. so that they and want him over three, three for anything. And they will make up the reasons. And they, they said will. they'll make Benghazi look like, you know, like a kid's parade. So we're yeah. here trying to, when I say we, I mean all of those who are the loyal Americans, the true people, the true we, the people, are sitting here as a as 65% of the electorate. Let's call it 60. We'll give them their vote. Right? And we are about mm-hmm. to be ruled over. Okay, I said this uh, last week when um, when uh, um, I swore my oath again on Twitter to to the armed forces of the United States. And I said, I now I swear an eternal oath that I will die before Donald Trump becomes president again. Uh, Before Donald Trump. No, before Donald Trump takes this nation into autocracy and dictatorship.
0: Right. Yeah, because we know he will not be legitimately elected. Oh, There's no well, way. But they don't care about sure. that. Right. But and and let me, let
1: me I think define sorry. really quickly what I mean by I will die before, because, you know, some people <laughs> like to misinterpret what we say. Of course. I will stand and, and, and put my body before any riot squad, before any anybody. I will stand back. You know, I live, you know, where I'm at right now is 20 miles from the Norman Rockwell Museum. And a few weeks ago, I, I had a visitor from Canada. And i it was, oh my God, I f- drove them over there right away. And I said, there is something you need to see here if you want to understand how I feel in my heart. And in the middle of the Rockwell Museum, which is wonderful out in Stockbridge, uh, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. there is the f- paintings of the four freedoms. And Rockwell had done this Uh, As part of, you know, after um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt had put out the call, guaranteeing the four freedoms, freedom of want, which is the picture, the painting of the of the grandmother with a huge turkey and everyone sitting around the table. Right. That America is a, a prosperous nation and you have a freedom not to starve. The other was freedom of religion, where they had people from every country. And the golden rule at the bottom, do unto others as others would do unto you. Then you had freedom of fear, where the mother and father are tucking their children to sleep. And you're wondering, if you don't look at that painting carefully, you don't understand it. The newspaper in his hands are about, you know, hundreds of thousands dying in Europe. And he's like, yeah. the, you know, it's four cu- four level broad print of some disaster that's happening in Nazi Europe, right? And and mm-hmm. putting their kids to sleep suddenly became a question mark. And then I walked them over to freedom of speech. And I, I love that painting. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little caught up. When I talk in public over the last four years, that's the image that comes into my head. Standing up and having your say and saying what you believe the problem is that image is now being corrupted by the people who, who, who say, you know, when are we going to start killing people? I mean, when do we get yep. to use the guns? Right. Someone said that in public, a no with, push, no pushback. with his own face showing and people yep. cheering him, Okay.
0: And no Republicans stopping it. None. None. Nobody's God. saying that is unacceptable.
1: Here's what, you know, I spent every minute of my life defending this nation. And I said this on, I was on Joe Madison's show, who's starving himself to death, even as we speak. And he asked, Malcolm, what would you say if you saw Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema together in the hallway? And I said, here's what I would say. I would say, what is wrong with you? America is on the edge. You, too, could kill this nation. You could kill what my great-great-grandfather escaped slavery to defend. He joined the Union Army to be part of the more perfect Union. My great-great-granduncle lies dead in Fort Leavenworth Cemetery, dying in the Indian Wars as a Buffalo soldier of 9th Cavalry Lima Troop. My father is went to war in World War II at 15 and fought in the South Pacific. I, I dodged bombs, missiles, suicide bombers. I stepped on an effing landmine, thank God, that didn't detonate. But you know what? Every Nance who served in the armed forces, including my niece who was in combat off of Yemen, okay? Every one of us would give our lives to ensure that you two idiots vote correctly, and you save this nation, that everyone has a right to vote come this November, and guess what, Joe, sure you will be you will be reelected because the vote will be balanced properly. And right. anyone who wants to vote for Joe Manchin is free to vote. Kirsten Sinema, I don't get her; she's free to be voted out. But you yep. know, that's what I would say, and. Mm-hmm. you know i mean it from the bottom of my heart we the, the the motto of the u.s army is this we will defend that needs to become our motto so what do we do you ask for a solution i have one solution i said this on i can't remember which radio show i said it on but in here in new york state upstate new york near albany um They elected a an African American congressman. He is on the chopping block. The Republicans want this seat back. The district is ninety-three percent white and it's overwhelmingly conservative. And he beat that guy. He beat a guy by the name of John Faso. And you know how he did Mm -hmm. it? New York 19 Indivisible held a thing called Faso Friday. Every Friday. It started with like five people would go to the office of John Faso and say, is John Faso here? And they go, no. And then they would all stand outside and drink coffee and make jokes about John Faso. It became, over months, a block party. Everyone went there every Friday. I mean, it got to like 100, 150 people. They didn't impede... People. They didn't chant dirty things. They didn't throw things. They went there to have coffee and to show the representation, you know, their representative. Oh, by the way, guy never came to his office for two years, right? That's he, that's the impression I'm getting. It became a phenomenon. And while they were there, they registered people to vote. They showed the community, this guy's a loser. He doesn't even come to his office. They did what Russia You know, Vladimir Putin warned Donald Trump of a color revolution. Right. A revolution that where people will come together through popular mobilization and will defend or and take back their country with the vote. And that's what I would recommend every Friday. All of these groups, even your mom and pop groups, go walk your kids and your dogs down to the office and have coffee. and, And, you know, even all the Democrats all Republicans. I don't care which side you're on. And we need to show we will defend democracy. That's all you need to do. Have those sides. Defend democracy and and push them on it. Get rid of whatever your little thing is. If it's climate change, drop it until this election is over. If it saved the whales, drop it until this election is over. I'm really pissed off about these Democratic groups, African-American groups in Georgia, that just gave Joe Biden a black eye because they're demanding action on voting rights, the man is there to talk about voting rights, right? Right. And if you don't support him and you don't mobilize people, you're making people think in the district where my father grew up, you're making them think black people and you're making others, allies, think that you don't have his back. Everyone needs to have America's back now.
0: I agree with you. I have a I have a policy, and it's a new policy, uh, because it I never had trouble criticizing or critiquing democratic administrations before. I will not say a negative thing about President Biden. He is he was dealt the worst hand of any president in modern history. I'm not saying that mistakes aren't made. I'm saying that there are much more important issues at stake, as you're saying as well. And we all do need to be one-issue voters in 2022 and in 2024. We need to be voting for democracy. That's it. because also, by the way, any of our pet issues, or I mean as important the Supreme Court's important, climate change is ridiculously important. it's the most important thing, probably. All of our issues are important. but if we lose democracy, we lose all those issues anyway. So I think your Your passion is so visceral, and I guess how do we get people to understand one what's at stake and two that this is this, this isn't a matter of semantics right. we are literally talking about the soul of our nation and anybody who's paying attention should feel the way you feel when you're talking about this mm-hmm. stuff it it's it's it is everything and it's not just it's our children it's our children's children it's it is the the fate of the world Quite yes. honestly, because if America becomes an autocracy, what hope do we well, you have? You know,
1: when you've got Canada, you know, I saw, you know, people like my friend Tom Nichols was criticizing Canada for the op-ed in the, uh, in the I think it was the Toronto Sun, where they said, what are we going to do about America if it becomes an autocracy? Well, you know, as far-fetched as that <laughs> sounds, for those of you who don't watch HBO or some of the other channels, there's a TV show called The Handmaiden's Tale. And it's where the United States becomes a fundamentalist, Saudi Arabia-like autocracy, where they organize state-sponsored rape of women, just like in some countries. And Canada is the same thing. And Texas. You know, I mean, it's it's just utterly amazing. (laughs) Look, this is not a joke. And, uh, you know, it's my job to, to, to get out there and stand up. And look, I'm an old Navy chief. Uh, My career, uh, it's carved into my arm and, and, you know, my career job has been to stand up and warn you of when stupid things were happening and the consequences of that idiocy, right? What I don't, I don't see just Mm -hmm. stupidity here. I see blindness, willful blindness, and that willful blindness is camouflaged because the people that are doing it look like many of the people who would have to vote, okay? I would start if, okay, I don't know who the billionaires are out there, okay? We don't have Sheldon Adelsons who will give $100 billion to throw an right. entire election, okay? We, obviously, we don't. We don't have enough people out there who care, all right? But let me tell you something. The, what happens in oligarchies to billionaires well like like putin's russia they put you out of business using the power of other oligarchs and the market or the government itself so a good investment would be the stability of the us market for the next century by ensuring hmm. that this election and the election that follows we do not descend into democracy or insurgency or worse, civil war. Ah, the very fact that I have to use that phrase disgusts me. But you know what? I, I know, I've seen some bad things out there. I was in Bosnia for the genocide. I was a, I was working missions that supported Rwanda and Liberia and Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. And, other. you know, I yep. visited the toll slang prison in Phnom Penh, Cambodia when it was still, the blood was still drying in it. Let me tell you something. I spoke twice at Auschwitz. The Auschwitz Foundation called me uh, a couple of years ago for a conference where they were worried essentially about where the world was going. And the name of the conference was Never Again. Really? I said, when Auschwitz Foundation starts wondering whether we could be toppling towards genocide to where, uh, not genocide, autocracy to where genocide could come back. I worry, and I'm not worrying just because I was a Catholic kid raised in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. I worry because as (laughs) an African American, all right, it was my duty to serve to ensure this doesn't happen. We've got Nazis marching in the streets carrying American flags everywhere. We're...
0: And Confederate flags in, into yeah. the Capitol oh, we're building. In we're in and it is. I know so many people who are looking into getting citizenship in other countries just in case things go mm-hmm. south no. in 2022. Um, well, uh, or 2024, I guess, would be when things got really bad if if, if it went that far. Um, because we're not just talking. I, I, I personally think that McConnell is looking to create uh, a theocratic apartheid state. Not that he gives a shit about religion, but he knows that it's a really easy way to control uh, control people. Um,
1: so I got some news for you. Mitch McConnell whatever, will not be speaker. Will not be um, majority leader. Oh,
0: I don't. Oh, think no, she, that's a big surprise. Remember,
1: remember, Robespierre. Okay, that guillotine is waiting you know, metaphorically for him. Uh, it He will not be elected. you yes, will wake up and find Ted Cruz, probably not Ted Cruz now, or Ron Johnson, or... Hawley or, or Tom Cotton. Cotton. Or Josh Hawley. Will suddenly, in a surprise vote, the young insurgents, the young rebels have taken over, you know, yeah. <laughs> what is the jacobian The real Nazis. Have, have arrived. No, these yeah. people are partisans and they will elect a yep. government... That will weaponize the government against its people, and we will have real t- tyranny going out and making your health better and meeting the, the you know the preamble to the constitution uh, does not constitute tyranny, but using the government as a weapon <laughs> against its own people to put a minority and keep them permanently in power that is tyranny that 's a dictatorship it 's literally in the Declaration of Independence, where they itemized all the things that King George did that, uh, you know, that supposedly offended us as a letter of indictment, right? That's the same, by the way, those are the same articles that people on 4th of July, when it's read, right-winger stink was against Donald, was written about Donald Trump. So (laughs) we're we're in a crazy place. But you know what, instead of starting planning of going to Costa Rica or Canada, uh, which are fine places, my wife was my wife was French Canadian but born in West Lafayette, Indiana, and she took an American passport, but lived in Quebec for 40 years before she moved to DC. So her loyalty was mm-hmm. always here. So why don't yeah. you put the effort into start sitting around with your friends, making up let's defend democracy signs? putting out signs all over your front lawn and barn, the way they have Trump signs. And let's start, you know, counterattacking the coup, which was another cute phrase I had the other day. Uh, and let's say I stand to defend democracy. I'm having an eight foot banner put in front of my house. Right. And it says this, I will defend. And it's a, it will be democracy. Yeah. And one last thing. Republicans like to say this, but we're not a democracy. We're a republic. Oh, well, if you were smart yeah. enough to read, you would know that a republic <laughs> is a democracy in which the rights of the minority party are, defend, are are enshrined in a constitution or in the laws. So yes, you're a democracy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're just cynical. Uh, they really, the, the cynicism on the other side is breathtaking. And just to be clear... My friends, who were, they're, they're standing, they're staying and fighting. Nobody's what? running away. But I think it's worth planning ahead, no. perhaps, because I've never met anybody as vindictive as Donald. And one thing he has, I think, brought to the Republican Party, uh, not that he's transformed it, but one thing he has added to it is this sense of, of white male mm. grievance that is just off the charts. And it's like part of their platform. And that's why
1: my latest book is called They Want to Kill Americans, the Militias, terrorist, and deranged ideology of the Trump insurgency. White male grievance is now enshrined in the AR-15 rifle. I say this all the time. People don't believe me. I check it all the time to make sure it's true. The price of AR-15 ammunition before the election was 21 cents per bullet. Not bad. One year after, it was a $1.25 per bullet. These people are wow. buying ammunition at wartime levels. And this, many of them have this fantasy of being the Wolverines and Red Dawn and fighting what they call communist forces. The guy that they worship literally says he gets love letters from a communist dictator and panders to a... KGB officer, but these people are the patriots. We're going to need to take back that word patriot and start calling ourselves the true American patriots. And those people are going to be... And we need to get angry too. What do they call them? The summer soldiers? Isn't that what Thomas Paine called Mm -hmm. them? I'll take being a winter soldier in Valley Forge any day.
0: I'm glad you uh, brought up your book because I, I wanted to talk about what your plans are for the next 10 months in terms of staying in the fight. You know, you, as I've said, you're an incredibly vital voice uh, in, I mean, you have been for a long time, but we are yeah. at a crossroads in a way mm-hmm. we have not been. Certainly not in in our lifetimes. I think we're about the same age. Um, so what your books are brilliant. Probably... Uh, there are more immediate – do you have any more immediate sure. ways, I guess is well, what I'm you trying know, to say, to, like, stay connected to people and educate people? Because I, I, I'm not, I, not – this is – it's probably not true. But I feel like you know everything. So – and the other thing that you do uh, incredibly well, which is a rarity in in people who write and who speak, who are – taking, you know, synth- synthesizing large amounts of complicated information, you lay facts out in a way that is, makes it easy for people to understand, but also makes it the mm-hmm. palatable. Like, the, it's not dry. Like, you're telling a really compelling story that's completely factual and complex, but easy to take in for people. So um, what what is another a medium that you well, might use to
1: yeah I'm touring the with the podcast world because you know I'll tell you why um my memoir comes out in 20 is going to come out in 2023 and it's got a very cool name uh thinker sailor black man spy and the, oh, the subtitle fabulous. is patriot that's father widower i and it 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 wow. literally encompasses everything that i am but more important to that, that I think that they're, that, you know, when I speak on TV, I might be on three, four times a week and I might have 30, 40 seconds to talk, which is a lifetime on, on television. But when I went on Bill Maher, yeah. real time with Bill Maher last August, and they had me on with that Yahoo, Ben Shapiro. All right. He's got like three, four million watchers. But then again, I don't have a rich Republican billionaire hand me $10 million and say, go start a podcast network uh, to attack. All you have to do is attack liberals. That's all you have to do. But I know people that listen to him and they go, oh, well, this guy, he's an intellectual and he does these things, you know, and I know he has people who will be monitoring your podcast. And um, I sat next to him and realized this guy's an idiot. He's a lightweight. Yes. You know, I spent my entire life, my entire life starting, you know, I was a sea cadet at 15. And then I went into the military, when, you know, the armed forces when I was 19. And I spent 20 years working some of the most secretive missions, you know, that I'll never really talk about. You know, I'll just frame around in my, my, my memoir although my memoir has to be cleared by three intelligence agencies and i realized i'm I sitting bet. next to a kid who at 17 called himself the youngest the youngest republican political analyst in america and then he you know was in the uh, the republican youth network forever and then went to harvard got a law degree but never went before the bar he's not even a real lawyer shapiro has no. a law degree He's never no done anything, he's never been anywhere, and he certainly has never served this nation one second. Okay? But that's
0: the problem. I think on the other side, they, they, one of the things they do that Donald is also quite expert at is they make people feel better about right. their ignorance and uh, yeah, yeah, their yeah. failures. I mean,
1: when, <laughs> it was so funny. When we were on that show, he went off you what know, was supposed to be a debate about critical race theory. And in about 30 seconds, this phrase went through my mind because, again, I'm an old Navy chief and we have zero tolerance for stupid. Right. This phrase went through my mind. I'm not going to debate this moron. I don't have to debate him. I've been in combat multiple times. Right. So he, I, I let him talk. And he defined critical race theory perfectly. And then what set him off and got him upset and his followers to, to attack me is when I said, it's a completely made up controversy. I only want you to teach history. I don't care. And he was just like, debate me, debate me. You know, and, I was, and that's when I came up with my comment where I said, is this what you do on your show? Because it's, you know, because it's really stupid. And what, you know, uh, no, because I said, you're, you suck at it. <laughs> and the only thing that I regret That's is that great. I actually flubbed my next joke because he really was like a, you know, I call him the angry chipmunk. And he started yipping like one of those little <laughs> yippy dogs around me, like, oh, well, I, I, I sleep on beds of money. And, you know, and <laughs> then I flubbed a really good joke. I actually had it in my head to say that if this guy ever gets in my face, I'm going to say, hey, the adults are talking. And I didn't. <laughs> I accidentally said we had need to move on to another an adult subject. But, yeah. I've decided I need to give I need to I need to challenge the the Ben Shapiro, Dan Benigno, uh Steve Bannon's yep. on the issue of defending yep. democracy. And here's what I'm going to do. All right. I'm going to yeah. call them out every minute of every day but I will do it in a dignified manner so that they can slink with their tails between their legs and move to Romania or Hungary, not Romania, Hungary or Moscow where Kanye West wants to move to now. Yeah, go ahead. I'll pack pack for them. I, I will issue the cards because none of them is a patriot. None of them are people that I could trust Dan Benigno, former Secret Service agent, betrays the agency every time he opens his big-headed mouth, right? Because he's betraying the fact that he he had the duty to serve the nation selflessly and to keep his opinions to himself. And now he uses the credibility of protecting the President of the United States to say, well, I was around Barack Obama and I didn't like him. Yeah, does that mean you wouldn't take a bullet for him? Let me tell you something. I missed a lot of bullets in my career. A lot of bombs, a lot of mines, a lot of missiles, all right? And I never thought for one second, oh, I'm not going to defend the Ku Klux Klan. Nope, you're an American citizen. You got the benefit of my service, which is why I told that idiot, Baked Alaska, go ahead and call yourself white power, right? I fought so you could be just as stupid as you want. Stupid seems to be word of the day for me today
0: <laughs> well because it's it is so accurate uh about the people we're talking about um i I love the idea of your having a podcast preferably daily um it is such a a good way to get access to people you know not everybody watches m s n b c just it's it's you know just the way it Rachel. is. So, um, I, okay. I would listen well, to your podcast. We
1: will we'll live stream video and, and audio at the same time, I think.
0: Um, so yeah, okay. just <laughs> sign me up and I, Malcolm, I could, um, I could talk to you for several weeks, but I'm guessing you have a truck <laughs> engine to move or something. And Don't forget the uh, corner firewood. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right um i seriously i have a billion other questions i could ask you it's fascinating to talk to you this is the wide-ranging breadth of this conversation has and the depth of this conversation has been a blast for me i'm sure for the people listening so thank you for spending so much time it was really generous of you and uh i i hope you'll be back on Soon, but more, more importantly, I, I well, hope you're going to have your if own. If I do, I've, I've committed that I'm going to have a fantastic. segment
1: where I'm going to get you, Michael Cohen, Anthony Scaramucci, and, and uh, I don't know oh, who no. else I can throw into that. And we're going to have a roundtable segment called Whiskey Tango Alpha Foxtrot, which is W A T F. <laughs> what the actual fuck? And all I'm going to do is I'm going to come up and I'm going to say, oh man, you know, whatever subject of the du jour, and I'm going to go, what the actual fuck people (laughs) you guys are going to go oh (laughs) that guy and we're all going to just green room oh that's fantastic right like the door is closed (laughs) in the green room and we're going to say we're not no one's listening but us but a million people what the (laughs) actual fuck and then we're going to we're going to say things honestly and frankly
0: I think that sounds like a plan. I hope there's alcohol it involved. Can happen. I, there doesn't need to be. I'm just kidding. I will
1: I will <laughs> mail everyone their favorite beverage.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. All right. I'm Good. in. I'm absolutely in. Thank you again, Malcolm. This is such a pleasure. Um and stay safe I will, up there. And stay warm. Thank
1: you, Mary, really. And I appreciate your taking the time to invite me. I know I get a little shouty. But, you know, hey, you're married Trump. So I can get shoddy for you.
0: It's required. It does. The times call for it, I think. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Malcolm. And now for one of my favorite parts of the show, where I get to bring your opinions into the conversation by responding to some of the questions you sent in via email. So, for next week, if you have any questions, please send them to all one word, the Mary Trump show at politicon.com, and I'll get to as many as I can. First up, we have a question from Diane What needs to be done to draw Republicans back into the Democratic experiment? Well, I honestly think the only way to do that is for them to be in the minority for a really long time. So in other words, Democrats need to vote more in greater numbers than they ever have so that we can expand our margins in the House and the Senate and actually um, enact legislation that helps Americans without having to deal with Republican obstructionism. I, I don't see any hope for the Republican Party as it is currently constituted. I just do not. They're dangerous, and um, we ignore that danger at our peril. So, you know, I don't think it's a question of reforming them from within right now. Uh, They need to—any Republicans or former Republicans who don't like what's going on in that party need to um, start from scratch, basically, is what I would say. This question is from Tina. As a 63-year-old black female who has voted all her life and all 10 of my siblings and I were told to vote, why should I wanna keep voting, keep being involved when it seems that everyone is cuckoo for Cocoa Pops? To me, it's like, okay, white people, this is on you, fix it. Because my attitude now is like Lady Chablis said, two tears in a bucket, motherfucker. it. I, I've never heard that quote before. It's quite something. Uh, Tina, why should you vote? And I am in agreement with you about the fact that it seems, well, first of all, that, you know, (laughs) the the core problems in this country are absolutely the fault of white people. Uh, That has been the case since this country's inception. Um, And it always, I I find it disheartening when uh, election cycle after election cycle Democrats lean so heavily on their core the core constituency of its base, which would be uh, black women, and then in the intervening years, uh, kind of ignore the needs of African Americans in this country it, it's uh, it's really weird to me i I think that the Democrats need to honor and empower its base to the same degree the Republicans empowers its base. I'd say honor, but there is no honor among the Republican base. The difference being, of course, that the Republican base are are the fascists and the neo-Nazis and the anti-Democratic, anti-American racists and misogynists. And the Democratic base is basically women and people of color. So it's about time that the Democrats repay all of the efforts made, particularly, again, by black women. So um, I don't, however, think the solution to the problem is to stop voting. We have to. We we just don't have a choice there. And um, eventually, I hope that the Democratic Party will respond uh, if we bring enough pressure to bear upon them. Unfortunately, we live in a, a very... Precarious time in which we don't have the luxury of protest votes or uh, protesting by not voting. From Marie in Arizona, our state has sadly had 2.5 times the amount of COVID deaths than the amount of votes that the former occupant of the White House lost by. In Georgia, that amount is almost three times. Yes, they are killing their own supporters in the battleground states. Will it matter in 2022? I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with the st- statistics to know the answer to that question. But I think I will say that it certainly, just ma- arithmetically speaking, is not an advantage to the Republicans for them to keep killing off their voters. It's it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life, uh, that they are literally encouraging their own voters to risk death, Um On the other hand, though, I think Republicans in power have made the calculation that they don't really need that many voters anyway, because they are enacting voter suppression legislation in practically every state in the country. And of course, they will be focusing most of that attention on swing states. Uh, So... Their plan is to win with a minority of votes or to have enough uh, cronies in place at key positions like Secretary of State or Attorney General uh, so that they can just ignore the will of the voter or overturn the will of the voters uh, in in the next elections. If a Democrat wins in Arizona and they've managed to... um, have a Republican-led state legislature and a Republican attorney general and a Republican secretary of state, who's going to stop them if they decide that they don't like the results? Uh, I'm not entirely sure the Supreme Court will. Not this one. So um, it's, it's pretty scary. Uh, from Michelle. Michelle. Why do you think that the Biden administration is getting relatively bad press? They inherited a toxic waste dump. Is it lack of sensationalism? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Uh, It's the 24-7 news cycle and clickbait and ratings. I think it's also the fact that for decades now, the right has accused the media of having a liberal bias and the media has responded... (laughs) by um, going too far in the opposite direction, quite honestly. Uh, I think also, as, as nature abhors a vacuum, so, so do the media, by which I mean they, they need things to be normal, right? So instead of putting everything that President Biden is dealing with in the context of the horrors of Donald's administration— instead of looking at Biden's uh, struggles to right the wrongs of Donald's administrations, they're treating him like the next president, right? That, like, he took over, everything's his responsibility now, everything's his fault now, and it doesn't matter what happened before. That plus um, the fact that I think they find him boring. And they, they resent that. So I think that's also part of the reason they don't give him credit for anything. I mean, the economy is doing extraordinarily well, and some something like 48% of people don't know that because the media aren't telling them that. So I, I don't really know how to fix that. Um, luckily we have really excellent media critics like Eric Bolert on the case, but If we don't have uh, people at the head of news organizations making changes or recognizing the problems um, or putting things in context, then I I worry because the media are so important in shaping people's perspectives and educating people. So... Hopefully things, things will change, but it is going to make uh, what is already an uphill battle even harder and by that I mean uh, the 2022 election from Marcy, what do we do about Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema <laughs> The long-term solution to them to their the problem of them is to elect more Democrats to the Senate and essentially make them irrelevant. These are two people who have way too much power and they are misusing it. Now, don't get me wrong. um, It's better than having two Republicans. Some very important legislation wouldn't have been passed without their votes. Uh, It is a mystery to me why they're making some of the decisions they're making, particularly vis-a-vis Build Back Better and their stance on the filibuster, Um, But again, it's still better than having two Republicans. That having been said, um, it's not good enough. I I think a short-term solution would be for the DNC to buy them off, (laughs) basically. I mean, they are being bought off as it is right now, right? They're being paid by lobbyists and corporations to do the wrong thing and vote against their constituents self interest so why can 't the Democrats pay them off to do the right thing i 'm guessing that isn 't going to happen, but i can 't really think of anything else we can do in the short term because uh Manchin in particular has shown himself public- publicly to be dealing in very bad faith, so we can't we can 't trust him um, but it's it 's another reason why voting is so important you know let 's get Let's get four, six, eight, ten more Democratic senators in there, so mansion and cinema can become Republicans, which is really what they are. What I will say, however, though, is that um, the Republicans, a hundred percent of the Republicans in the Senate are worse than mansion and cinema. So I know it's a low bar, but uh, that is important to keep in mind. From Diane, Biden won and Trump supporters tried to overthrow the government, yet so many Republicans believe the big lies. How can we make sure children are taught the truth in our schools and teachers who teach it are protected? That's another long-term project. Um, I think immediately what Democrats need to do and what I wish they had done in the Virginia gubernatorial race is point out that uh, things like campaigning against teaching critical race theory in elementary schools, um, which is not a thing that happens, is racist. Uh, The fact that Youngkin got through that campaign without being referred to as a racist is kind of mind-blowing to me. The way forward, I think, is to start teaching civics again, but not the way we used to, you know, not just one year in high school, we read the Constitution, we need to start teaching civics to young children and we need to teach it every year and we need to do it in a way that makes it relevant to their day-to-day lives so they understand why it's important that they know how the government works and that they participate in their own governance. The other two things that need to be taught in schools are critical thinking, uh, so people aren't as susceptible to... Um, misinformation and uh, QAnon nonsense, uh, which leads to the, the next thing that needs to be taught, which is media literacy. Again, all long-term projects, and which is sort of a theme here, which just reminds us, if we ever want to be able to enact these kinds of strategies, we need more Democrats and many, many fewer Republicans in office. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mary Trump Show with me, Mary Trump, and some of my favorite people at the intersection of politics, activism, and culture. Please send me your questions for next week's show by email, all one word, the Mary at politicon.com, or look for the address in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. Also, follow The Mary Trump Show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and please give us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. Stay safe, and I'll see you next week.